Welcome, and thank you for tuning into the Graceland Church Podcast. Our mission is to follow Jesus and love our neighbor for the good of the city. Good morning, Graceland Church. So good to have you guys here. Always so honored to get to worship with you during these Sunday morning services. Uh, I really believe there's a reason you're here. We've had a wonderful start to 2023 in our church family. We studied the Holy Spirit for the month of January and looked at life in the Spirit. If you weren't here uh, and that is intriguing to you, you can always check it out online. We did 21 Days of Hope where we prayed. Many of us fasted and we saved some of the money from fasting for a clean water offering, which is pushing $3,000 now from last Sunday, which is amazing. Thank you guys for your generosity. If anyone wants to give to that, you still can. That's through our partner, Convoy of Hope. Uh, They will allocate that uh, to a place that needs clean water. We had a night of prayer and worship. How many of you guys got to be here for that? It was awesome. We had a packed house. We sought the Lord. We worshiped. We, we stood here and burned the mortgage because we paid off the debt on this facility. So we're so thankful. And we actually burned that mortgage on top of a previously burned mortgage. And it's just really exciting to see the different chapters of the church. We also uh, let the church know about the first missions trip we're going to do to the Mayan Yucatan. And we've got over 30 people signed up. And my little brother, who's a pastor in Pennsylvania, they're going to join us. So they're going to bring some more people and be a part of that same trip. So we're going to have a big crew. There's still more welcome. We have to know within about two weeks if you want to go. You can find all the details in the foyer along with all the spring groups semester that Heather talked about. We are restarting our series through the book of John. And let me just explain to you how we've been doing it here. We've been studying the gospel of John since the fall of 2021. So we've been in it for quite a while but we are in chapter 12 now, and you don't have to listen to every message leading up to this one to get something out of this message. But it's also a really beautiful long-term study. And every once in a while, we take a break and do a series like we just did in January, Life in the Spirit. Before that, we did Advent. And so we'll see how long John takes us. It'll probably be another year and a half, and then we'll finish it. We just believe that there's power in God's word, and we want to model for the church how to just read through scripture and learn from it and study it. You guys tracking with that? So we're diving back into it today. The theme of the book of John is believe. So we just called the series Believe. And there's a principle we've used. In a world full of of cynicism and death, we can have life through Jesus. That's really good news. And we're asking ourselves the question, what would it look like if we truly believed Jesus in this adventure called life? Now, I know and you know, sometimes life feels less like an adventure And more like you are the ball inside a pinball machine. You get shot out every day, and you get knocked to the right and to the left, up and down, back and forth, until all your emotions are running rampant. You don't know how to tell up from down, and you lose all your peace. Now, today, we're going to study a story in John chapter 12 that's all about our relationship with our emotions especially when we feel like that little ball that's knocked all over the place. This relationship that we all have with our emotions is one of the most critical relationships in our lives. Do we listen to our emotions? Do we follow them? Do we trust them? Do we have a higher allegiance? There will be a pull from your emotions in various directions all throughout your life, and we need to learn what to do with that. And the really good news is that Jesus actually models for us what to do with emotions. As himself, fully God and fully man, he shows us his way. 
And the thing I love about his way is his way works. Anybody with me? We try a gazillion things our way, and then eventually we come back around to his way. So this message is called Managing Your Emotions. I am an emotional guy. Can any dudes in the house just admit that with me? If you're, are you a crier? Ryan Collins, yep, raise your hand. Some of you guys I know. Dave Dutton, thank you. Yeah, okay, Nathan Mace, yep. Um, you know, I was writing this message this week, and my wife walked over to me one day and said, what are you uh, preaching on? And I said, you're going to laugh when I tell you what it's about. And I said, managing your emotions. And she laughed because she knows I'm not that good at it. You know what I mean? I am preaching to myself this morning. I am a high, high, low, low guy. I can be an emotional roller coaster. I got it from my mom and her dad, my grandpa. They're the types that when they pray for dinner, they cry, you know? And Randy Mace, who sang up here today, told me that when he's watching football with the dudes, when a team huddles and prays, he starts crying <laughs> before the football game. So, um, we are all emotional beings, and this sermon is looking at the life of Jesus and how he managed his emotions, and it is a model for us. The moment in the life of Jesus is important to understand because he was about to face one of the greatest challenges of his life, and that was his crucifixion. Just a few days out from that is when we read this story in John chapter 12. He's already started telling his disciples, hey, I'm about to leave. I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. People are already not knowing who Jesus is. Some think he's God. Some think he's a prophet. Some just call him rabbi. Some are already trying to kill him because they're threatened by him. And we get this intimate moment that he has with his disciples, and they're onlookers too, where he says this in verse 27 of John 12, now my soul is troubled. So he is saying to his disciples, I'm experiencing emotional turmoil right now. And this is powerful because it is the son of God who's fully God and fully man willing to show us his humanity and that it's normal to sometimes have a troubled soul. Scripture in Hebrews says that he is our great high priest and he can empathize with every single thing we go through. So every emotion we feel, Jesus has dealt with it. Isn't that amazing? Because we have a God that we can converse with. And as we talked about in the series last month, the Holy Spirit is our counselor. We can talk to a counselor that understands that everything that is going on in the depths of our heart. And what Jesus is showing us here is actually the crucial first step that we often miss in how to manage emotions. And it's this, number one, Jesus acknowledged his emotions and you can too. That's step number one for all of us. It's actually critically important to learn to feel what we are feeling. Acknowledge it and name it, notice it. Some of us try to manage our emotions by running from them or just ignoring them really hard or just swiping them all under the rug in hopes that someday they will go away. And one of the things that is so powerful about scripture and about the fact that we have a God that is true is all of our modern psychiatry and modern science and everything happening in the world just confirms the truth of God that he's been talking about since the beginning of time. All truth is God's truth. And there's a psychiatrist, Dr. Hilary Jacobs Hendel, who says thwarting or ignoring emotions is not good for mental or physical health. It's like pressing on the gas and the brakes of your car at the same time, creating an internal pressure cooker. Emotional stress 
like that from blocked emotions has not only been linked to mental ills, but also to physical problems like heart disease, intestinal problems, headaches, insomnia, and autoimmune disorders. Most people are ruled by their emotions without any awareness that this is happening. But once you realize the power of emotions, simply acknowledging your own can help greatly. Sometimes we as Christians wrongly think that by acknowledging our emotions, we're no longer living by faith. You guys know what I'm talking about? Or maybe we're discrediting the promises of God if we ever admit how horrible we feel. But Jesus is showing us if you feel horrible, you're not gonna do yourself any good if you just try to ignore it. You start by acknowledging reality, acknowledging your emotion, and then becomes the crucial next step. So it's, it's not as much do these emotions come, it's will we acknowledge it and what we do after it. You tracking with me so far? So reading on the second part of verse 27, Jesus says, now my soul is troubled and what shall I say? So he's beautifully pausing, starting to think more objectively about it rather than just subjectively in the motion and asking himself, and I think for the sake of us and the onlookers, what shall I say in response to my troubled soul? And you may not realize this, but all of us choose how to respond to our emotions. I think oftentimes we're choosing subconsciously. We just react or we just sit with it or we let it ruin our day. But we can actually do what Jesus does here and ask ourselves objective questions in response to our emotions. And he shows us number two, Jesus managed his emotions rather than letting his emotions manage him. And oftentimes we're like that little ball in the pinball machine, just bouncing back and forth, moving with every wave that comes into our life. And you guys know this like, like I know it. It seems that the longer we live, the more things like this come at us every day. They don't go away, they increase. Anybody with me? Hello. They don't do, go away, I think they increase. Anybody with me? Need a little response here. You guys with me? Hello. Checking one, two. We've got an emotional bunch today, a quiet emotional bunch. You know, one of the images in this message that I hope will be encouraging to you is by the end of it, I hope you will have a vision of no longer being the ball that is just managed by everything going on around it, but become the player of the game, right? You are not the ball getting knocked around. You have learned the fruit of self-control, which is a fruit of the spirit. And now you are playing the game and learning how to manage your emotions rather than letting them manage you. You know, you may know someone that you're watching attempt to live their life right now that is just letting their emotions wreak havoc on them. Don't raise your hand. It might be you, but we all, we all see this. We experience this. We wrestle with this. And here's what it kind of looks like. Imagine you get a new job. And at first you're thinking, I like this job. But someone who's managed by their emotions will say, I'm happy about it now, but eventually they'll say, I'm not so sure it's making me that happy anymore. And now I'm not sure if I want this job anymore. Now I'm angry about this job. Now I'm sad. Now I feel stuck in this job. Now I want a different job. Wait, now I want my old job back and now I don't know what I want. That's life in the workforce when you're managed by your emotions. The same is true of marriage. I like this marriage. I'm happy about this marriage. Now I'm not so sure about this marriage. Now I don't think I want this marriage. Now I'm angry about this marriage. Now I'm sad. Now I feel stuck in this marriage. Now I want a different marriage. Now I want my old marriage back. I don't know what I want. 
This happens with any important thing in our life. It happens with church families. I'm happy. I love this church. Now I'm not sure about it. Now I'm sad. Now I'm angry. Now I'm stuck. Now I don't know what I want. Life can just go on and on, being bounced around by circumstances and how they make us feel. I love how Dr. Gail Brenner says it. I know what it's like to live a life driven by emotion. And believe me, it won't make you happy. Sometimes we think that following those emotions is what will make us happy. Someone shows up late and you're triggered by fear and anger. You get some negative feedback and you sulk in sadness. You live in anxiety, cycling thoughts over and over about what will happen next and if it will all be okay. It's like you're a yo-yo on a string with your happiness tied to all the circumstances in your life that you can't control. It's a very tragic way to live, but we all slip into that because we can't control the circumstances in our life. And so if we are dependent on those circumstances for our emotions to be okay and to get through, we're in for a yo-yo style life. It will not end well. Jesus shows us a way that works. So he acknowledges my soul is troubled. He asks himself, what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? No, it was for this very reason I came to this hour. So he's answering his own question. If my question is, Father, I want to run the other direction from this challenge. I don't want to go to the crucifixion. He then interrupts that thought and says, no, this is the very reason I came to this hour. And what he's doing here, and it's number three in your notes, Jesus considered the outcome of following his emotions and exposed the lie. It's just the practice of following the logical trail of where you will go if you listen to your emotions. In Jesus' case, he was modeling for us that if he let his emotions, a troubled soul, control him, he would not go to the cross. And then he reminded himself, that's not for me because the cross is what I'm here for. I am here to redeem us, a people for myself, for my father. Therefore, I will remain. He exposes the lie and it helps him manage his emotions. And I believe it's a model for us. And really what this is doing here is taking captive our thoughts and replacing them with truth. So when lies rise up and when, when emotions tell us go down this path, follow the conclusion, expose the lie, replace it with truth. Sarah Dobrensky says it this way, one of the biggest challenges in processing a momentous trial is keeping your thoughts in check. The temptation to spiral into untrue, anxious, or what-if thoughts is a constant battle and an important one to wage war against. They attempt to chip our faith and cause us to doubt the goodness of God. I want to emphasize what she said there. The mental battle for truth is a good one to wage war against. There are lies that want to lodge themselves in our heart and in our mind. It is the plan of the enemy who is the deceiver. And a lot of these lies go way, way back to your childhood. They are deep in you. And we need to learn the process, the spiritual warfare that happens between our ears and contend for the truth. I remember once I was in a chapter of my life where I was especially struggling with some things. And as a pastor, I'm always working with people that are, that are wrestling with what they think and what they want to hold to as truth and crisis in their life. And I had a dream one night a number of years ago that I want to share with you about this kind of spiritual warfare. I was in a grocery store but at first I couldn't tell that I was in a grocery store. I could hear that there were people around, there was life going on, but there were three full-size, taller-than-me grocery shelves 
completely stocked with groceries of some, as if someone had just stocked them, closed in on me on every side like a triangle. So I was actually stuck in the dark, feeling like I was in a cave, unable to see anything around me, surrounded by, I couldn't even tell what it is because it was blocking out all the light. And here I am in the cave, crying out to God, what do I do here? I'm alone, I'm angry, I'm tired, I'm depressed, all the things we feel in the cave and we wanna run. And God spoke to me in my dream and said, why don't you just remove some of the things off the top shelves where they don't belong? And so I was like, okay. And I realized I could just take something from that shelf and put it down here by my feet. I could take something and put it down by my feet. And as I did it in my dream with everything I moved, another piece of light would come through and I could see outside of this cave that had been built in around me. And the things that I could see were the other people. I all of a sudden realized I wasn't alone. I realized there were people that loved me all around me. There was family, there was church family around me. There was light around me. There was an entire life, an entire store, lots of things I could buy, delicious food, and there's vision for life. And the principle is this. In our thoughts, sometimes we're stuck in the lie and we're completely caved in like that and we forget that we alone have the power to take the thoughts off the top shelf that don't belong there that are lies. We alone have that power. We must remove those and put them down so that we can once again see. And I'm gonna talk a little bit about what some of those lies oftentimes are at the end of this message. But Jesus, I believe, was really modeling that for us. And then he says this, so my soul is troubled. What shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. No, it was for this reason I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. That was his declaration, demonstrating now a higher allegiance than his emotions. And this is number four. Jesus appealed to a desire even greater than his emotions, trusting and glorifying his father. The emotions are real, but I have a greater devotion. I have a greater desire than the emotion. I trust my God. He was saying, this is the reason I was born. I can't run from this. And then he was making the declaration, this is about glorifying my father, which when we take the posture of glorifying our father, it reminds us this whole world is not all about me. Have you noticed that when we get stuck in our emotions, we also tend to get quite selfish, tend to be quite self-centered. We don't even realize it when we're doing it. And I am a huge believer in counseling and therapy and meds when needed. None of this is um, a stand against that. But we have to be careful. We can get consumed with counselors, therapists, doctors, friends, and all we ever talk to any of them about is us and our problems and our emotions. And we can do that for a lifetime and miss this incredible principle of living for something greater than us. Father, glorify your name. And the other part of Father, glorify your name is we awaken again to the needs of those around us. And it's that acronym again, J-O-Y, what leads to joy, Jesus others than yourself. It's like elementary, but actually so powerful. I'm telling you, God is right in the middle of the hard things in your life. And the things that your emotions may be telling you to run from, to maybe escape from, you rather need to acknowledge that he is with you there and say, in the middle of this, God, glorify your name. That becomes the process, right? Doesn't necessarily make the emotions go away, but you have brought them into line with truth and you have said, God, even here, glorify your name. 
Dubrensky says, God is not surprised by our troubles. His plans and purposes are not thwarted. Rather, he is active, active in and draws near to us in hardship. He gives us the opportunity to know him more intimately, to practice humility, to be recipients of the Spirit's comfort, to proclaim his praises and the gospel to unbelievers, to encourage the church with a testimony of his unfailing love and faithfulness. God's sovereignty reigns in our troubles for the glory of his name. This is part of what it is to follow Jesus. You don't impact other people and bring glory to God when everything is just going great so you feel at peace. You impact other people and bring glory to God when things are a mess and you still walk with God and you bring glory to his name. People remember how you go through the emotional challenges. That's what brings glory to God. I can preach a gazillion sermons. I don't even remember my sermons. I will try to think back to a sermon I preached four weeks ago. Unless I pull up the notes, I'm like, I have no idea what I said or what I'm even talking about. But you know what I can do as a pastor is as I get in life with people, I can model what it is to keep going back towards the Lord even in the middle of trials. And that's what people remember. Tracking with me? And it's that desire of saying, Father, glorify your name. And he's called you to live that way rather than be completely consumed in your emotions. So it empowers us. Instead of running from the hard things, ask God to glorify his name through them. One of the theologians I've been studying for this series that I like a lot is Pastor uh, Paul Laboutier. And he says something that he calls opinion, but I think it's worth reading. I believe it's impossible to be led by my emotions and the Holy Spirit at the same time. My emotions are constantly telling me things that aren't true. And it doesn't mean emotions can't tell you the truth. They can. But I'm praying that you will experience this powerful shift because when the emotions are telling you to run, let's just use marriage again for an example. And we'll just talk openly about this. You can apply this to things other than just marriage. So if you're not married, just think of whatever it is for you. Marriage gets hard. Can anybody say amen? Is anybody here's marriage like squeaky clean perfect? If you raise your hand, I'm like, this is not your church. I'll be like, you probably. <laughs> marriage gets really hard. And, and, and I, like you, especially if you've been married for a while, if you're a honeymooner still, you might not know about this. But, but you're going to learn. Um, you're going to learn that sometimes you want to run away from your marriage. You want to get away from that person. <laughs> anybody ever? You just, want, you just want out of there. For me, the first time I ever felt that towards my wife was on the day of our wedding. Sorry, the day before our wedding. True story. The day before our wedding. We got in our first real kind of like uh, argument. We're, we're not big yellers, but we were driving somewhere. I was driving. And I remember my thought to this day. I was like, I do not want to be in the car with this woman. I need to get out of here. I was that angry. I need to run. That's the instinct. Can Anybody? You guys know what I'm talking about, right? It's escapism. And I, let's not even talk about leaving the marriage. That's certainly a part of this, but, but less than that. Almost just like, all right, forget this. You do you, I'll do me, we'll be partners, we'll get through this. But you're really resisting them and kind of running from them. This is an example that Jesus sets for us here that transforms that situation. Because what we can do is we can acknowledge my soul is troubled towards my spouse right now. I, I'm holding something over their head. I probably think I'm right. I'm angry about something. Lord, what do I do with this? That's when Jesus says, what do I say? Is my logical conclusion, ignore my spouse for the rest of their life and just take care of me and maybe eventually completely separate? No, not a good conclusion. God has ordained for us to be together. We're in a covenant together. Father, glorify your name. 
And when you do that, you get re-empowered to run back towards your spouse instead of away. Have you guys noticed that? And that is the process over and over and over and over again. Whoever is offending you, whatever is keeping up at you night, keeping you up at night, whatever that trouble is in you, keep working this over and over again and end with Father, glorify your name. And then we're not done reading. In verse 28, a voice from heaven came. I have glorified it and I will glorify it again. The crowd that was there heard it and said it had thundered. Others said an angel had spoken to him. So imagine the moment here. People are arguing about who Jesus is. He's sharing an intimate moment with his disciples. He's modeling for us this dealing with our emotions. He declares, Father, glorify your name. And then a voice comes from heaven, God the Father. It sounds like thunder. I have glorified it and I will glorify it again. And immediately some of the people try to explain it away. That was just thunder. Those are the people that just everything has a natural explanation. Others say it was an angel, but we see here in scripture, it was the actual voice of God. And then Jesus says something a little bit startling. This voice was for your benefit, not mine. And I believe it was for our benefit and for the hearer's benefit, but it shows us something about Jesus. Jesus was settled before his father, number five. He knew his identity, his purpose, and he needed no public approval. There was another time that a voice spoke from heaven when Jesus was baptized and God the Father said, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased and a dove descended on Jesus as the Holy Spirit. And then it says the Holy Spirit led him right into the wilderness to be tempted for 40 days. And the devil tempted him by saying, did God really say this? If you're really the son of God in whom he's well pleased, then do this. And that's exactly what happens to us today. We hear about our identity, but then it gets challenged. We hear from God, then our life challenges it. The enemy challenges it. Our own voice challenges it. But I'm telling you, if you learn to be settled before the Father, you can much more readily deal with this whirlwind of emotions. I'll often ask myself when dealing with uprising emotions that are not serving me well, how would I respond if I was completely secure and settled in my identity? And if I really think through that, it's usually different. I would respond differently. And then I lean into that response. Jesus was also settled in his purpose. He said, for this reason, I have come to glorify my father. And so before I share a closing story, I wanna ask you, what is troubling you? What are you going through? What is making you emotionally stirred? What is terrifying you? And the invitation is this, whatever it is, acknowledge it before the Lord and then say, what shall I say to this? God, take this all from me or God, glorify yourself, glorify your name right in the middle of it, Lord. As the worship team comes, I wanna tell you a real quick story and then we're gonna respond together. I was sitting with a friend processing a decision I had to make. It was a bit of an overwhelming decision. I was nervous. It was a daunting task. It's probably seven or eight years ago. And he noticed that in our conversation, I used the word terrified four or five times. And I hadn't really noticed that I was saying that, but he said, what are you so terrified about here? And he kind of pushed on me about it. And he shared with me a story, and I'd love for you to place yourself into this story as well. If you close your eyes with me, he said, imagine you're with Jesus. You're you're one of the disciples. You're one of the people following him. You're hanging out. 
And it's the time is coming for his crucifixion. The stakes are very high. And you're feeling quite terrified. You're feeling quite emotional. You're wrestling with anger. You're wrestling with perhaps unforgiveness. All the various things that get inside of us. We're struggling with who we are and what our purpose is. And we, we just don't even know if anyone can relate. We feel alone with it. And, and it's, it's turned into almost like terror. And, and Jesus looks over to his side directly at you. And he says, my son, my daughter, can you drink this cup? And he's referencing what he's about to do on the cross. He's saying, can you take the weight of the world upon yourself? Are you trying to own every burden that comes your way and deal with it in your own strength and power? And the answer is no. And I believe then he invites us. He says, come to me, you who are weary. Come to me, my son, my daughter, with your burdens, and I will give you rest. And he says, take my yoke, meaning my ways. Take, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your soul. And he makes this declaration, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And this is really the power source in dealing with our emotions. We need the gospel. We need to put our faith once again in Jesus and start there. He is the only one that can drink this cup. He is your only savior. He is our hope. He is our strength. He is our vision for the future. He is everything that we need that we often look for elsewhere. So let's just start by saying, Jesus, we put our faith in you. Jesus, we need you. Jesus, we can't drink this cup. We can't bear all this weight. We often don't know what to do with all the things swirling around inside of us. So we start by just saying, I put my faith in you, Lord. And you can just pray this in your heart with me, church. I wanna follow you, Jesus. I want to know you more. And I don't just wanna call you savior. I wanna call you Lord, meaning I wanna follow in your ways. And I wanna learn from you because you are humble and gentle in heart. Lord, would you teach me how to manage the swirling emotions of this life? Will you teach me how to stop being the ball in the pinball machine and become the person playing the game? Will you teach me the fruit of the Holy Spirit, God? Will you teach me not just to be tossed around, but to repeatedly every day bring myself and my emotions and everything back to the truth, not because I have earned it, but because you have put me there. You have given me a place there. Lord, teach me your ways. I want to follow. And remind me of this truth that you are good. The deceiver wants to tell us that God is not good, not worthy of trust. He's not really with you in the problem. But let's be reminded. Let's take that lie down off the top shelf and replace it with the truth. He is good. And part of his goodness is he created you and you are his treasure you are his beloved son beloved daughter you matter to him beyond anything you can possibly imagine even our own love for our families are an imperfect version of the perfect love of God for you he's so desperately committed to you he so made you exactly how he envisioned that you are a masterpiece from the master creator. And anything other than that is a lie that must be taken off the top shelf. Replace it with the truth. 
I pray today that you will take steps toward being settled in your identity before God the Father. Being settled in your purpose. I know what your purpose is. To glorify the Father. That's your purpose. You don't even have to ask. He will work out the details. Say, God, right here in the midst of all of this, I want to make the same declaration that my Lord Jesus made. Glorify your name. Instead of running I'm away from things, I'm running to you. And for this very reason, I was born to glorify your name. And church, I pray the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. And the blessing of God Almighty, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit be among you and remain with you always. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Love you all very much.